You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. So I keep getting these, these one after another, these incomprehensible instructions for how to vote. This one says options for returning your vote by mail. It has three options, but it's completely unclear whether I have to vote by mail or not. Is there a regular election coming or not? Uh, there's a little thing about safe and accessible in-person voting options in the left on the right-hand side, but they clearly don't really emphasize this. Then I got another one saying, uh, all registered voters have been mailed a vote by mail ballot. Vote safely at home. Make your voice heard. Has no mention of in-person voting at all. And, and they're all sort of done in this sort of uh, Gen Z sort of new format where things are sort of floating on white space and it's not clear where you should go. And and then you know finally, I, finally yeah. I get something that says, wait, there's more. Uh, all at the in-person vote center, press the button to review all choices. So it turns out there is an in-person vote center. Uh, who knew? Uh, and anyway, go ahead. You know what the people who designed that lack? Two words, one of my favorite terms. Cognitive empathy. You got it. They for, failed for, to put themselves in the shoes of the average person who would open that envelope and try to make sense absolutely. of the literature. And also the average aging boomer. This is... This is uh, there are two lessons to be learned from this. And I think one is the, the lesson of bandwidth, a key boomer uh, concept, which is shortage of bandwidth, which is it's not enough to have everything explained to you over pamphlet after pamphlet. You don't have the mental space to find the right answer and you don't want to deal with the right answer. Deal with having to find the right answer, even if it's readily available. That was the beauty of election day. All you knew is you had to go to the polls and vote and it was done. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was simple as opposed to this Hazarai. And yeah. uh no, and people the our age can't handle that kind of shit. In fact, and, what kind of shit? I've forgotten what we're talking about. See, this is what I mean. And, what are we talking about? And the second thing is because turnout doesn't necessarily go down with all this junk, but it does force people to turn to third parties for help. Just the way complicated tax forms uh, force and might you to turn some to of those people block. commit fraud, Mickey. Might some of those third parties commit they, fraud? They might be canvassers. I'm 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 desperate. I will happily welcome my friendly canvasser who understands all these rules and will explain them all to me and handle my ballot for me. And might I commit mean, fraud. Uh, and, is, that and, or no. is that where we're heading? No. They might lose my ballot when they realize that I'm that you're not voting. That I'm not voting the straight line Democratic ticket. Yeah, uh, that's it's what not I'm to be about. confused with fraud. They would just lose something. We all lose things. It's, yeah, it's just an accident, like something falling off a truck in New Jersey. Uh, anyway, that's my opening spiel. It's very annoying. Yeah, well, there's a lot of that around, a lot of bad design around. You know, in fact, that's why uh, we had to endure two uh, two terms of George W. Bush. Remember the Florida ballot design in that one place where clearly yeah, that, that would have made design. the difference if it hadn't been baff completely baffling. There were right, clearly a lot of people, and that would have swung the state if the people was who meant to vote for uh, Gore had, had got had their votes. But it was also it was also obviously obviously. Uh, something that could not be overturned by a court. You couldn't say, oh, these are Jews. They would never vote for Buchanan. They must have meant to vote for Gore. No court, no judge could was going to decide that. You definitely can't say that. Uh, you can't and, even say, obviously, some significant percentage with this ballot design meant to vote for Gore yeah. and not Bush. And you know who the person was who wanted to double down on this completely doomed theory as the Gore spaceship was heading augury into the ground wait that which, theory, was, which theory which theory wanted to emphasize the butterfly ballot theory which was a loser even though he was it was completely um as an equitable matter it was correct but but uh, not, yeah it was not going to win in court uh as opposed to checking the overvotes which they neglected to do which would have won gore the election uh wait let me person, guess i don't know uh Joe Lieberman? No, he, he that Same. person was Ron Klain, Bob. 
and Biden's chief of staff, who who was in the process of not doing anything differently as the Biden spaceship augers her to the ground. So yet another person who helped get us into the Iraq war is promoted instead of demoted. Was he? Did he help us get it? Get well, us into he the helped Iraq get war? Bush elected, apparently, according to you. But he was working for Gore. I know, but he helped get Bush elected, and Bush invaded Iraq. Uh, oh, well, it's kind of it, it's a it's a really subtle and complicated joke. I should target you know, a younger he, demographic. He may I, he may bad. well he may well have wanted us to get involved in Iraq. I don't know. He, he anyway. He's it's inexplicable. Why I didn't he's mean still there. he wanted it. It was a joke. But here's the question: Do you think Gore would have gotten involved in Iraq? Well, I see. I it's commonly assumed he wouldn't. Have. I'm not sure at all. I mean, after all. Joe Lieberman was his running mate. And who was his? Was it this first guy was his national security guy? He he was his administration. And I mean, after all, who was one of his biggest boosters? Our friend Marty Parrott. Uh, I don't I, I, I agree with all that. And I still don't think he could have pulled the trigger. It's hard to say. I'll tell you. It was crazy times. I mean, look, all the people who would have restrained him, all, all of the all of the so-called progressives and liberals supported the war. Who would have stopped him? He, is I don't think you is that true? Me. What? I mean, people like Josh Marshall, who supported the war, had bailed by the time the war was actually a oh, yeah, but prospect. Slate, the New Yorker. I mean, come on, these bastions of at that point, the, the, these mainstays of liberal, supposedly democratic thought. Mike Kinsey would have stopped it. Uh, I think he would, Gore might spend more time talking to Marty than to Mike. I'm not sure, but. Uh, um, maybe Mike would have gotten to Marty. Uh, and then, I don't think, I don't think I don't Mike know. was all that passionately against the war. I don't think Marty had that probably, much. But, uh, I, I don't think Marty had that much influence on Gore. He didn't he eventually turn on him a bit. I think he once Gore, said Gore that didn't they. didn't take his advice. At one point, I think he said that they spoke by phone almost every day. I think he said that. But what did they speak about? That's maybe they were maybe they were talking about uh, the, you know, great songs from the 60s or something. Could have been. So, Um, uh, well, maybe maybe we're spending so much time on this because uh, once again, the main story of the week is depressing. Uh, This is the second week in a row where a mass shooting is kind of the biggest story. Yes. That's horrible. Uh, and it looks like there is, you know, I was always uh, despairing of gun control, even though I'm sort of weak on the subject. I'm not in step with my conservative friends because anything that I figured anything that could get through Congress, anything that was tolerable was ineffective. Uh, and, uh, but it looks like they are going to do, so, they are working on some combination of a, uh, mildly expanded background checks and uh and red flag and and red flag laws it wouldn't be a federal red flag requirement it would be you know grants encouraging states to adopt red flag laws and what's what's an example of a red flag law? oh i don't know i guess if you if you uh if you torture a small animal outside the school or you visit the school psychiatrist and say uh you know in exhibit uh, symptoms that he that are required to be reported or you beat up your wife uh i guess that that it's like it's like a fico score and i i guess i guess like i i'm waiting for the silicon valley genius to propose a fico score like thing for your propensity to commit mass murder so that you know that in davos this week there was this a guy got a lot of grief for proposing tracking everybody's every person's carbon usage by computer in other words you have a instead of a Mm -hmm. it's not like a chinese social credit score it's it's like a chinese social credit social credit score but only focused on your carbon usage Mm -hmm. uh and and somebody's going to take that crazy idea which i find horrible and and say let's do it for people who have a propensity to to be like this shooter uh, and it's a little less crazy there. Oh, it's still pretty crazy, but I mean, it seems ob- inevitable that somebody's going to. Yeah, I mean, there, there. I'm sure there's data that would be statistically predictive. I mean, I don't know what the literature is, for example, on video games. But this guy apparently, from a young age, 
played a lot of first-person shooter games. Uh, wouldn't shock me uh, if if um, mass shooters are disproportionately likely to have done well, that. If if you if you got a whole bunch of data that you know the government doesn't have, like, do you have a girlfriend? Do, are you have a good? Are, do you have good relations with your parents? Do you have male friends? Are you on a sports team? Uh, all all sports team would be a positive. Uh, uh, you know, you could <laughs> depends actually, on the sport, but you could be much more. Really, what sport would be a negative? No, I'm I'm kind of joking. I'm guessing. Uh, I, it's a, actually, it's a good question. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, kind of mainstream social involvement is probably a negative indicator of likelihood you, to do this. Anyway, right? you could probably come up with a, a, a you could probably come up with a score that was much more accurate than this than just the absence of red flag. Uh, I'm sure you could certainly if you if you monitored you know social media behavior and stuff. I'm sure they could come up with an AI thing that you know would do a better than uh, you know just chance job. I don't know, you know, how effective, I, you know, if this accelerates, you'll start probably hearing calls for that. I, I, meanwhile, I mean, it's, I'm still surprised by how many uh, less ominous things in that there are that that are considered too radical to pass in Congress. One example would be just uh, saying that you can't buy a gun until you're 21 instead of 18. I mean, look, this guy, the Buffalo shooter. The uh, Parkland shooter, I think, the Sandy Hook shooter, Columbine shooter, I think they were all under 21, right? And, and look, this wouldn't be foolproof. Some of them would manage to get guns anyway. Um, and for that matter, you probably wouldn't make be making possession illegal. So if their parents wanted to buy them one, but, but a couple of these people were people who probably would have had trouble finding somebody to help them buy an assault rifle, you know? They didn't have well, any friends, obviously, as crazy as them. Their parents weren't going to do it, you know. So you do the little things you can, and and yet, apparently, even this could not get 10 Republican votes in, in the Senate. You know, you can't drink until you're 21. I mean, is, is this so crazy? Pretty much. I mean, I think it's that's still technically state by state, but I think the Nash, the federal government created some major incentive. I forget what it is for states to raise the drinking level. I mean, when I, I went to high school in Texas, drinking drinking age was 18, now it's 21. Uh, it was, it, it was, um, it is, it is plausible that these shooters, by the time they're 21, they will either have flipped out completely in some other way, or they will have managed to get their lives together. Just an uh, they, increment of greater, you know, self-control or, or yeah, they'll have finally met a woman or something, you know, I mean, all kinds of things can happen that, you know, these, these guys are often right on the edge. It may happen. It may not happen. Anything you can do to decrease the chances. My other hobby horse, which has even less chance of ever happening is uh, banning high capacity magazines. I think this guy had a 30 bullet, Magazine. In this case, it didn't matter. Uh, but in the Buffalo case, I think that guy killed everyone he killed without reloading. And you never know what if he had to stop and reload. First of all, bad things can happen. You know, he can get flustered. Uh, it certainly gives people more of a chance to rush him. You just never know. I mean, I, I think you do the things uh, you can do around the edges to slightly decrease the chances without egregiously infringing on civil liberties. Why not do all those things? It, the, what? I assure you the founders did not, were not thinking, man, what, what, one thing that would clearly violate the Second Amendment is if you, you could only shoot, you know, eight shots in a row without reloading, right? I mean, you could only well, shoot one shot without reloading in those days. I, I must admit, it, it, when I think of my marksmanship, I think I would need more than eight shots. <laughs> but, um, uh, the, the, the founders clearly wanted you to be able to protect yourself. They wanted you to be able to rebel against authority if there was a, a, a time when the authorities got oppressive and you, you, would, you wouldn't want to be stripped of your guns. Does that require more than an eight bullets? I don't know. Self-defense uh, self does not. I mean, uh, if, can I just say something about people who buy guns for self-defense? If when they are used violently, it is almost always either to commit suicide or to murder someone. Okay, that's what actually happens with with guns that are bought for self defense. But in, in terms of actually defending your home, I would guess, 
I, I know of no data on this, but I would guess that 99% of the times they are successful in defense. What happens is intruder breaks in, either sees the gun or you fire two shots and he runs away. That's what happens. There aren't, there are, aren't many cases where someone comes to your house and their plan is to murder you with an assault rifle, right? It, it just, you know, I mean, again, you can, you can, it, it's, it's kind of like torture in the ticking bomb scenario. You can come up well, with these scenarios that won't actually happen more than one times in a million, but they don't happen more than one time in a million. You know, I, what if you're a woman living at the end of a dirt road in the Western United States where there's nobody else around and you don't know who's going to come down that dirt road and you want to be able to protect yourself if they do? I don't know that eight bullets is enough, but what if there are two people coming down the dirt road? Uh, by, by two pistols. Uh, you know, I, I mean, again... If eight stop, if eight shots doesn't stop them, you're probably in serious trouble, you know. Um, any in any event, in, in other words, another eight probably isn't going to help. But but it's just like yeah, it's like Mickey. We used to have these arguments when I was against torture being legal. As I recall, you were for it, and you would come up with these crazy scenarios that have literally never ever happened and have almost no chance of ever happening. Okay, you can always do that, you know. Try to imagine a woman living alone who won't manage to discourage an intruder by firing eight bullets at his face. Okay. Won't that will not lead him to flinch. Okay. I suppose there's a movie in which that happens, but it's just not, you know. Well, the um the one thing I don't uh the one argument that that's often made that I don't buy is the argument on the right that says, uh, well, look at Chicago and New York. They have strict gun control laws and they have out of control murders way, way more than uh, others, other areas. And it, but just as we argue that uh, Chicago and New York have have weird, sick cultures in some way, uh, you know, that it might mean that gun control laws, yes, they won't work there, but they will work in a lot of in, in a lot of rural areas where uh, you don't have, uh, you know, gangs and, uh, you know, a huge. I guess you can't call it an underclass anymore, uh, but uh, you know we have uh, basically uh, a lot of high crime areas. Uh, you have a shot at actually having an incremental a positive effect because most people, you know, will will obey the law and find it hard to get a gun if guns are illegal. Well, well also, uh, you know, if you can cross state lines. You know, if the law is not uniform across the country, I think the Buffalo shooter, I think the high capacity magazines are illegal in New York. I believe he crossed state lines to get his 30 bullet magazine. And that's why some of these things you pretty much have to address I, at a federal level. The state line, the state line argument that was always seen to be a, a cop out for uh, excusing a culture where you're just going to be able to get it. You can get heroin. Heroin is the most, one of the most illegal things around. OK. You can get heroin, you're going to be able to get a magazine. You can get that. Well, as for magazines, I would say two things. If you were serious about it, again, I realize this is politically impossible. I mean, this is America. You can't get anything serious done legislatively. But the uh, but the way I would do it is I would, first of all, uh, I would first of all have a very generous buyback program. So everybody who has a magazine that's too big, you, you, you buy it back. And then after that, you make possession itself illegal. Doesn't mean you're going into people's house looking for him, but if you stop a guy and he's uh, driving drunk, so you search his car and you find a high capacity magazine, that he does jail time for that. I mean, I mean that's the way I, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, do it. But none of this is gonna happen. So Buy, you know, buying back guns seems fruitless because the arsenal, as they call it, I'm talking about magazines. Exi as existing guns is so big you could never make a dent in it. But maybe with magazines, the arsenal is less. Well, you could get five billionaires to contribute enough money to pay for that because that's the kind of cause that they would support i think the bill yeah i think the billionaires are, are, are going to go for this uh fico score for for uh for shooters myself it's an interesting question. Go for both. there are actually a lot of libertarians in silicon valley so it's an interesting question on the other hand uh but then why is Silicon Valley creating an Orwellian nightmare state of one of the, uh, the social ironies. surveillance? We can refer to this as the Peter Thiel irony, perhaps, given given I think what some of his software does.
Um, actually, that's a good point. Peter Thiel probably already could do this. Do do what? You mean you mean track potential shooters? He may be Palant- doing <laughs> Palantir Palantir software. Yeah, uh, um, he he. he uh, it's it's look, it's doable. Um, and this is, you know, I, I just want to a thing I said in the distant past. I think I said it in my book, Non-Zero, even is like, you know, people think of a two dimensional trade off between like liberty and security. I mean, a one dimensional a spectrum of two ends. But there is another dimension, which is just how many people are hateful and want to do horrible things to other people. You know, the less hatred there is. uh the more you can have security without sacrificing liberty. And, and that's why, look, the one, the one true thing that opponents of gun control say is like, look, this is largely about problems in our culture. It is largely about problems in our culture, but I still think you do what you can around the edges. The problems in our culture are hard to legislate away. I think we should think about those too, but they're hard to, hard to ban. Um, for some reason, I'm never very sympathetic to the, uh, lower the temperature arguments you make, but you um, want to raise the temperature? No, I just figure. I, I just figure if people are going to go kill people, they're going to go kill people. Kill people. Well, no, but if they're not However, crazy the and filled is. with rage, Mickey, all of these guys are crazy and filled with rage. They're, they're if they weren't that, they wouldn't do this. I'm not saying I know how to end it, but I am saying, you know this is a problem to an extent that it didn't used to be a problem. And, and I, even yeah. I don't think it's just because there's so many guns floating around. Yeah. Um, um, well, it looks like, you know, they they are talking the Democrat, the, you know, the Democrats have gotten smart. They realized they took the lesson of the Sandy Hill shooting. Is that the name of the, the, Sandy, the Sandy hook, Sandy hook shooting. Uh, uh, I hope Sandy Hill doesn't hear this. She's a friend of mine. Uh, Sandy Hook. <laughs> um, She's uh, the system is scanning her history even as we speak, Nikki. The, uh, the AI um, picked up on that. There, there, uh, there. Um, Sandy Hook shooting happened just as Obama's agenda was headed for the final crunch, and you knew, at least I knew, and I think other people knew that if he took the bait and spent a month on a fruitless gun control effort. It was going to make him run out of time on the rest of his agenda. And he did it in part with encouragement from Biden, I believe. And he ran out of time on the rest of his agenda. So it was a disaster. Schumer is very smart. He doesn't want to waste a month on this. Uh, he, he, if he can get something in a short period of time, he's going to do it. But he has other fish to fry. They all seem to involve Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin has said, He's ready to negotiate on guns. He has there's a group that's a gang of senators, there's a bipartisan group that's negotiating on guns. The, the Democrats are not going for the a, a big a big uh, legislative win like raising the age to 21. They're going for these these small incremental wins like uh, red red flag laws and grants for red flag laws and uh, you know a little more. Uh, background checks. And so there's room for negotiation. It's still very difficult, but that's that's happening. And Manchin has also indicated that he's willing to go along with the big thing that Schumer really wants to get passed, which is some form of build back better, some vestigial forum that uh, basically raises taxes, lowers the deficit and has some energy grants. Uh, if it doesn't have the, you know, the, 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 the things that, there, there are a lot of good things it could also have in it, including subsidies for Obamacare uh, to cure the original flaws of Obamacare. But um, it's probably—I I don't think it's going to have those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as long as it doesn't have the refundable child tax credit, I have—I have no particular axe to grind against it. It—it it, it would boost Biden's chances a bit. I'm always in favor of raising taxes on rich people. And contrary to what Jeff Bezos suggested a couple of weeks ago when he suddenly got edgy and spunky with Biden, uh, that does tend to be anti-inflationary, I think. you, you, I mean, you know, deficit spending is inflationary and the opposite is anti-inflationary. Iglesias op- pointed that out and nobody else picked up on it. It's, it, it. You know, everybody gave Bezos shit for saying that. But in fact, uh, 
Who did they give shit? No, they gave. No, they, I'm giving they shit to Bezos. They, they, they didn't give Bezos shit, right? Mm. They didn't I, give Bezos enough. I think shit. he got some shit from from you know liberal economists. I don't know, but it, it was such a weird case. I think he's getting Elon Musk envy. It's like Musk is, you know, totally. And so he's got to like, you know, I mean, well, but choose your spots more carefully is what I recommend. Um, the uh, uh, so um, uh, in the inflation figure that just came out was lower than expected. Oh, I didn't know that. Was that like today? Four point nine percent today. Mm. Uh, I'm year waiting for year. I'm Good. waiting for Jason Furman to weigh in. So you think there might be a base effect because it was higher last year? I don't. Oh, know. I have no um, idea. I don't, it was the, the, anyway. It, it's been interpreted as signs that inflation may be slowing down. Uh, I wait for Jason Firmer to weigh in. I checked his Twitter feed before we taped. He didn't have a reaction. Uh, he is in. He was in Davos saying that now that inflation has taken hold of the world economy, don't kid yourself. Uh, the 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 central banks are going to have to do much more than they're letting on they're going to have to do to bring inflation under control so the you know don't 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 abandon the idea that every time the stock market is good goes down the fed is going to do something to boost it back up it might keep going down so you don't want to buy on the dips mm -hmm. as i just did or did Perhaps you mistake well, I, spent, I, I have a th I, I've only a th I have only a thousand dollars and I blew it all on an investing in an index fund that I've made now thirty dollars. Just tracks the, just tracks the S and P or something. Just this was a high tech, a high tech, a high tech, tech fund. index fund. But um, um, I figured that's more volatile. Well, but, if you're uh, diving back in, I mean, once this goes gets out, now that it's public, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm get. I think you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy in between now and when we post this, because when we post this, all your followers. Isn't that illegal insider trading? Isn't that like built? Well, this thing, this weird story came out on Breitbart. It wasn't completely nailed down, but it was very interesting, if true, that Bill Gates is funding a lot of organizations that trash Elon Musk. So it's not just that he's shorted Musk's stock. It is he's doing spending his millions and billions to drive the stock down. Now, is that illegal? Probably not. Probably not. I it's not insider. It's not insider trading. It's sort of, it's sort of, but it's a secret dark fund. He's not being transparent about it. And second, why would Bill Gates do this? He has plenty of money. Well, he doesn't need to make Musk, profits. I mean, you saw he Musk, doesn't need to make profits on Musk stock. Did you see Musk's tweet about Bill Gates? This is he probably he, retaliation for he that. He said he was pregnant. I think he's been doing it for a while. No, I think right. Musk was No, he showed him a picture of him looking overweight and said something that your average 13-year-old would say when tweeting a picture of somebody he didn't like who looked overweight. Yeah, that's what Elon Musk does. What did he say? He said he, he, I, I forget it was the, the joke, but the I whole it was idea. A, it was a pregnant man emoji. It was a pregnant man emoji. It was not, he was just overweight. Okay, but he's making fun of him for being overweight. How how yes. old are most of us when we stop doing that? Donald Trump excluded. How old are most of us when we stop? Well, doing Well, it's that? like one of those things where you know, if you're if you're a normal person, you stop it when you're 18. But if you're in the elite, you probably keep doing it for your entire life. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think it works. <laughs> Quite the contrary. The in general, traditionally. The people who have risen to high levels in the establishment, the elite, are people who stopped doing it earlier than than you and I did. That's why well, they. But but maybe and that's then they get rich and they, the world. and they go to clubs and at the clubs they say, you know, Bill Gates is disgustingly fat. <laughs> you know, I mean, still, the, uh, tell it to Joe Rogan. Still, the idea that you know a guy with Elon Musk's record on Twitter, just looking at his record of juvenile tweets, is could well wind up running Twitter is an appropriate comment on the general direction of reality lately, I guess. So it's just sit back and enjoy it, I guess. I mean, you know, another guy who made juvenile sex jokes was Stephen Hawking. I mean, you know, what can you say? It, it Stephen Hawking? The, the Yeah, he, he was he was filthy. Well, yeah, there were all he, sorts of there were all sorts of like weird quantum dirty jokes i think you got to give him credit between his <laughs> genius and his physical malady i give him credit i'm just saying that it, do it doesn't bother me that much that he had a, a juvenile sense of humor when it came to sex 
you know, he did manage apparently to have an affair with his nurse, which is hard enough. More than I've done. Me. Right. Uh, so my hat's off to him. Uh, anyway, I just think Gates is cruising for a bruising there. Um, well, he's getting it. He, so there's so many conspiracy theories directed at him, you know? Well, it started with Epstein. I mean, that's the Epstein, he's you know, distracting. He's distracting from maybe he's, do, he's, he's like Denspec. He's distracting from the Epstein scandal by opening up a whole new scandal. So everybody forgets that he was pals with Epstein. That could be it. He is a smart guy. Uh, but, you know, the Bill Gates microchip in the vaccine, you've got you realize you've got how many of those floating around three by now? You got three Bill Gates microchips in you. There, there was this. Um, I missed that. What did you say? I was thinking, you know, the, the theory that the vaccine is used to to get Bill Gates microchips right. into your body, right, which right, a, right. a number of people actually believe. I mean, uh, uh, an alarming number of people. Well, I'm waiting for the next severance show where they. In order to stop high school shootings, they insert a chip into every young male that goes off every time they. We can arrange that. Have you have you watched more of Severance since we spoke last week? Yeah, I've watched. I'm okay. on like episode three. Okay, so we can talk about that in the pair. Anyway, but um, but we digress. The, uh, uh, the um. Anyway, I forget. Oh, there was this hilarious thing in Business Insider, uh, where Reed Hoffman of LinkedIn. It was I know a him. scandal because he he had planned and he had invited Musk to a dinner with Jeff Bezos, Jeffrey Epstein, Joey Shiito, the guy from MIT, and him, and it was and Peter Thiel, and it sounds like a dinner you could, you know, have a you could have a one act play entirely based on this dinner, and it would be an interesting thing. But of course, there's no evidence this dinner ever happened. I mean, he invited him. I mean, Bob, I invite you to a dinner with, right. Happens with Jeff all the Bezos time. and Elon Musk, and we're going to get Zelensky in, you know, from and Prince Bandar, and and yeah. all, you know. I've just been so, to dinners you organized where the advertised guests did not show up, Mickey. Just in just, real life. In real life. Have you organized those dinners? No, you organized them. There was all this glittery bait. Bob, want to come to dinner? All these people will be there. You know, uh, that happens all the time. That's my point. It happens. That's your point. Um, but that happened. That that was an accident. There are people who do it intentionally. Anyway, it happens. Uh, but you had me, Bob. I know that's enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so. On Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, the big news was Henry Kissinger, I think. Not the only news. Okay, go ahead. It was also the news that, uh, well, first of all, I should say I've been doing an experiment this week. I, I have stayed almost entirely off of Twitter and entirely off my Twitter Ukraine list. Uh, and as a result, all I know is what the mainstream media is reporting. And as I've argued before, the mainstream media is usually if there's if there's bad news for Ukraine, they're usually several days behind it uh, on it. In fact, um, I would like to play you a clip, a clip from the BBC today where they're saying basically what I told you a week ago as if it was news. Can I do that? Yes. So, as you may recall, I was saying, like, if you follow the kind of pro-Russia Twitter, you get a sense for things well before uh, sometimes they are actually reported. In this case, I said. I think it was the second week in a row I mentioned this town, Papazna. I said they had been saying for a long time it's important. Finally, the Russians took it weeks and weeks ago. And then last week I said, I'm not sure this is real yet, but it looks like there's been a breakout. I mean, I mean, the, the Russians took Papazna, but now it looks like there's been a breakout and they're heading from it west and north and south and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, I haven't. You know, no signs in the mainstream media. Uh, today was the first time in mainstream media I saw a reference to Papazna uh, or heard. It was in the BBC. Um, I'm going to play it. The other thing I had said was one implication of this is that for this, among other reasons, this town of uh, Severodonetsk, a big, big, important city, will now be imperiled 
and either the Ukrainians will withdraw or there will be a big battle or something. So uh, anyway, I finally heard a reference a week later to Papazna. This guy pr pronounces it Papazna, but uh, you'll get the idea. And towards Lysyshansk. So the only way they're going to be able to properly encircle it is by cutting off a whole pocket of territory coming round the back. And that's what they're trying to do at the moment. They've come through this town called Popasna, which is on the old line of control. That was one of the front lines was near there. They've broken through there and they're trying to come round the back, going kind of through a town called Bakhmut. And that would encircle I mean, I'm serious. I, I really said this. I mean, there's a little... There's been a little more, but uh, and, and this is a fuller report and everything. But there is this lag in reporting bad news for Ukraine that I, I've kind of figured out the dynamics of it. Maybe well, I'll go into it in the paragraph. I think it's that's kind of changing because I was I was reading Ann Applebaum's latest piece about how uh, why we must pursue Putin's ultimate defeat and humiliation mm -hmm. as our war goal, as opposed to taking the Henry Kissinger approach, which is uh, giving him an off-ramp where he actually gets some territory. Um, and that's the dividing line now. And and she has shifted. The old line was Putin is insane and he's losing, so we must stop him now. And uh, it, now while we have the advantage, now her line is, is shifted and it's now Putin is rational and he's winning, so we must stop him now. <laughs> right. Uh, either way, the, 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 the result is always the same, but but the anti-Putin people have completely incorporated the idea that he's doing okay. And uh, but you know, that's, that's a swing over the last two or three days, so far as I can tell. I, I mean, whereas the there was evidence of it many days earlier. Yeah. But I guess the argument that he's not about to take this off ramp, he thinks he's doing fine. There's you know, no point in offering him an off ramp, blah, 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 blah. And he's rational. So of course he uh, he won't launch nuclear weapons when we say our goal is to depose him and destroy his government and his way of life. I mean, that, uh, yeah. that as, as Roth Douth had pointed out, that is the weakness of Applebaum's peace. If, if, if the more she up, ups the war aims to destroy Putin, the more likely it is nuclear weapons will seem like his only option. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's why I can't believe how much grief Kissinger took because I think he was basically saying, look, the most you can hope for is to get back to the status quo ante, which would be, first of all, at this point, that's a huge hope to get back to the status quo ante, it's, you know, uh, where, where you know, he, he's got Crimea and uh, uh, less than half of Luhansk or the combined territory of Luhansk and Donetsk. Um, and, you know, but and and uh, if, if you do try to push it back, in the event that you were lucky enough to have the option of pushing him back further than that, which I frankly doubt will happen, uh, then at that point, it is it does to him seem, I think, like an existential threat, not to Russia, but to his regime, because the politics of that would be so grim because that's an out and out loss. In fact, I think it's a loss for him uh, domestically if he's pushed back this the status quo ante. But in any event, the grief Kissinger took for saying just something that's kind of obviously true. I mean, if you think you can get Russia out of Crimea, where, by the way, most people apparently want Russia to stay, most Crimeans, I'm not saying that justifies what Russia did, but it's now the fact. If, if you think you can get Russia out of Crimea without seriously courting something like the apocalypse, I mean, at a minimum, a much more, a much scarier regional war, possibly nuclear, I just think you're nuts. And, uh, but God, Kissinger, uh, you know, uh, inclu people including Zelensky acted as if, you know, he's some kind of war criminal. Well, I think I, the more, the more they get Zelensky to say, we will never give up Crimea, we will never give up Crimea, the better, because then in the end, he'll, he can give up Crimea. It seems like a big, Sacrifice, but, but it becomes harder um, for him to do that in terms of his own domestic politics, as he says that more. And more. Well, that's uh, that's actually, um, but that's an argument that the Applebaums and the you know and the others make is that well, you can't expect Zelensky to offer him an off ramp because he he could ne he you know Ukrainian politics would never tolerate that. Well, first of all, 
I mean, that's a whole interesting thing that if I don't discuss here, I'll discuss in the parrot room. But, you know, I don't think we have a super clear idea of what exactly the Ukrainian people want. And there's not a lot of vigorous debate on this subject, as I understand it. One thing I learned a couple of weeks ago from a podcast, and this was very much a pro-Ukraine podcast, the interlocutor, the guest, everything. But the guest had been to Ukraine, knows Ukraine very well. And, you know, there used to be six TV stations in Ukraine, apparently, each owned by a different oligarch. Since the war started, there is one TV channel. It's, it's not technically run by the government. It's technically a collaboration of like the six oligarchs or something. But there are rules. And one rule is you cannot criticize Zelensky on TV. OK, so we are, you know, we are not seeing. And look, I'm not saying America would be any more permissive if it had the kind of war where its actual territory is being intruded on, right. which we've never had, basically. Um, but it is not, uh, you know, it, there is not free-flowing debate in either Ukraine or Russia right now. There's less of it in Russia, I'm sure, but there's not probably a ton in Ukraine. So I, I don't know how we know uh, how, how an actual debate in Ukraine would work out on this subject, but but I will say, you know, it's easy for all of us to sit back and even in a certain sense for Zelensky to sit back because he's not on the front lines and say, well, you know, however long it takes, you know, however many dead Ukrainians and maimed Ukrainians it takes, however many refugees, however many dead Russians, it's easy for us to say that, but we're talking a lot of carnage and increasingly just the complete and utter destruction of Ukraine physically. What? What? One thing I didn't understand about what Kissinger said is, is he said Russia is an important balance in Europe. What does he mean by that? I don't these know. I didn't, I didn't read all the remarks. Um, these let's foreign see. policy concepts like balance. What is Russia balancing? Us? I think they're balancing us. I, I mean, don't know exactly what he means by that. No, I mean, he is yeah. an old-fashioned balance of power. Right, but usually, I mean, I, I once had to edit read it had to read proofread and henry kissner article in newsweek which was completely incomprehensible and somebody explained to me when kissinger wants to be clear he's perfectly capable of being clear he's unclear in this article because he wants to be unclear in this case he wanted to be clear i mean i, I think uh he was speaking by via skype to the davos convention uh so um I mean, all, all he seems to me, all, all Russia seems to me to be balancing is NATO. I don't know. I mean, now he could mean potentially China, but for the near future, partly as a result well, that's of this war, Russia is going to be yeah. virtually a client state yeah. of China's. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to read the last paragraph of Ad Abbaumspeed because it seems, it seems completely utopian and idealistic in a way that I haven't heard since the 1960s when you know people were talking about the ecstatic mode of being that was going to follow the revolution uh military loss could create a real opening for national self-examination or for a major change he's talking about in russia as it so often does in russia's past only failure can persuade the russians themselves to question the sense and purpose of a colonial ideology that has repeatedly impoverished and ruined their own economy and society as well as those as well as those of their neighbors for decades, yet another frozen conflict, yet another temporary holding pattern, yet another face-saving compromise will not end the pattern of Russian aggression or bring permanent peace. Well, I would I would say if set foreign setbacks, setbacks for foreign adventurism have that kind of feedback effect, why is Ann Applebaum, even after the Iraq war, still have this huge platform at the Atlantic? If self-examination actually worked within countries, you know, she would she would not be a prominent voice. She and her whole, you know, crew of fellow uh, hawks, neocons, and so on. Yeah, that's that's perhaps an unfairly personal reply I'm giving you, but it's a, it's, it's just. It, I mean, the the true answer is it's it's like yeah, it could happen, but you know, I think history shows that all kinds of shit can happen. He can I, be deposed in a palace coup, and it can be worse. A, a, you know, a, a true defeat could force the reckoning that should have happened in the 1990s. 
She wants a reckoning. Everybody wants a reckoning. The uh, I'm sure I'm sure Putin will be eager to take his uh, eager to stop the war if he knows that the results will be a reckoning in which he, you know he'll be reckoned out of power. Um, anyway, yeah, I, uh, it's just a triple see, bank it, shot. It, it, I, there's this. But there's this ecstatic, you know, we want this reckoning in which every the revolutionary forces will win and everybody will see the light. Uh, there's a similarity between Applebaum and the left and the new neocons of the left, and there, it's it's both it's pie in the sky in both. Well, which, which part of the left on what issue? Reckoning. You haven't heard about the racial reckoning that's happening after um, Black Lives Matter. It's it's all about it. every everything in the press is now a reckoning. Reckoning of privilege, reckoning of this, reckoning of that. And they remaking the flaws of society with a reckoning. Um, hmm. uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's I mean, the number of people who just say flat out crazy shit and are treated as major intellectuals is just scary. She said uh, crazier stuff than this. We uh, talked about it. OK. Um, um, if, if that's true, I love it. If what you say is, <laughs> if what true, you I say. love it. Uh, the uh, um, let's see what else. Now, just quickly, Biden uh, said that we will intervene militarily if China attacks Taiwan, and then the White House said, "Well, not quite so much." Is and why isn't why isn't he just reestablishing strategic ambiguity? In other words. Now the ambiguity is who are the Chinese going to believe, Biden or his aides, uh, in, in a way that sort of slightly yeah. toughens our stance against them, which is probably appropriate. So in the end, the outcome isn't such a disaster. Well, I mean, people have said that almost in a joking way, like, yeah, new level of strategic ambiguity. Um, it seems to me, if you want to preserve strategic, I mean, I would say the problem is he just comes off as incompetent. And uh, now maybe it's like, you know, madman theory, like, well, then they think, you know, America's run by crazy people. Who knows? Don't invade. They can do anything. That's as suppose as possible. Um, in know, this case, in this case, it could be uh, enhanced by fears of senility, senility. Yeah. In other words, the, the well, really good. old man will order a war. You know, really could. In his I allocated mean, state. If they if they really think he means it, of course, it provides this kind of a perverse incentive to invade now while America is, you know, has less of a presence there than it will have. And Taiwan has less American arms uh, than they'll have. You know, that's a good point. In a, in a few years. I, yeah, well, it's it's the same as we've talked about this a little bit. It's, it's just like in Ukraine where we're like, let's flood them with weapons. It'll be a deterrent. And Putin is like, I think I better go now. You know, there's only going to be more NATO advisors and weapons as the years roll. Bizarre, bizarrely, um, uh, Fiona Hill said one of the reasons she validated the madman theory recently by say by telling some talk show host or interviewer that uh, that um, she thinks Putin didn't invade under Trump precisely because he didn't know how Trump would react. Trump is a madman. He's not rational. And he figured Biden was rational, uh, therefore uh, he could deal with him if he invaded. Uh, it's just yeah. a weird, uh, unlikely source for the madman theory. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I think in retrospect, it might have been good for, you know, Biden said, we will not intervene militarily. It was virtually an assurance for Putin, or he could have taken it that way. I personally thought if there was, you know, one reason that, I mean, that I would be tempted to say that loud if I were president is because given the domestic American domestic forces in favor of intervention, you almost have to, like, state your position publicly to make it irrevocable, you know, to make it credible. Uh, otherwise, I, you know, I'm not sure what the logic of saying that out loud is. Uh, the other the thing he might have said out loud in retrospect is. But. We will arm them to the hilt if there's an invasion. That probably wouldn't have worked if Putin was indeed under the impression that the whole thing was going to be over in a week. I we I don't know if he was, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. The um, uh, 
anyway, um, we're getting into pretty pretty advanced and arcane uh, game theory, or pretty pretty speculative uh, game theory. Uh, the other the other thing that's happened. This is what I was going to say. The other thing that's happened is American public opinion is turning against the hard uh, pro. Let's back Ukraine to the hilt position. Is that right? Yes. There's there's the the um. It, it used to be fifty one forty four in favor of Ukraine. Now it's fifty one forty four against Ukraine. Just in terms of what is your priority, helping Ukraine or helping, yeah. you know, America not have any consequences from from the Soviets, and it's it's flipped and. I think people like Hawley, crazy as they are, are getting some traction with why are we spending $40 billion on Ukraine? Think of what that could buy in the U.S. Yeah, uh, he, wrote, he wrote a piece in, what is it, Compact Magazine, the new quasi-Trumpist, you know, kind of conservative nationalist, uh, you know, the one put out by that guy who used to be editorial page, opinion editor at the New York Post. Okay. You know the guy. That guy. That guy. We both agree that there's a guy <laughs> whose name. Why can't uh, everyone have names like Bob and Mickey? You know, remember uh, when America was like that, Mickey, and nobody had these fern names, and we could remember them all because all of them were either Bob or Mickey. No, no. Uh, the uh, anyway. So, so that's anyway, happening. Holly so that's, that's does militating have a, a piece in favor just, of uh, Biden giving as many arms as possible now because the public support for it is not going to be there in the future. Well, I, you know, Zelensky is now, uh, now he even, he is starting to concede that things are going badly in the Donbass and saying, so we need all these weapons more than ever. Hurry up. We need more long range weapons. I guess they do, but geez, I mean, my understanding is they're having trouble as far as what we have given them so far. They're just, it'll be weeks before they even assimilate that and know how to use it. You know, it's like, I guess there's a specific multiple, uh, you know, rocket launcher thing they need. Uh, I don't know, but- um, Which we've now agreed to give them. I guess, have we already? It wouldn't I shock me. I think that me. happened today. <laughs> it wouldn't um, shock me, but, the, uh, you know, there's, well, just quickly, there's of course the economic downside of all, the sanctions and uh, not to mention just the sheer deficit spending of giving them $40 billion. And, uh, you know, all that is inflationary. All of that is inflationary and, and inflation is a problem. And, and it, that may be pointed out in the uh, uh, run up to the elections. And I guess we should also mention that uh, Russia's secret weapon is turning out to be this blockade that is stopping food going to a whole bunch of countries right. in, in Africa and uh, including Egypt. And uh, and that uh, they said, oh well, we'll let we'll let the food through if you if you uh, you know relax the sanctions. So uh, there there's that that's in play too. And um, just quickly related to that, one last kind of tactical or strategic thing. I don't think we just should assume that Russia has given up on taking Odessa, in which case they would turn Ukraine into a landlocked country. And that's one reason that, you know, Ukraine faces some tough choices now, like with Severodonetsk on the verge of being surrounded. It's like, do you withdraw troops to fight another day and make it less likely that they can take Odessa? Or uh, do you do another Mariupol, you know, and, and lose thousands of troops, presumably there's that many there, to either, you know, death, being wounded or being imprisoned? I um I so, assume the Ukraine strategy is that the Russians are advancing now, but they're going to get exhausted and uh, their supply lines are going to run short and they're going to be much weaker in two months from now. Uh, that is a commonly said thing, and, and, and it could well be true. You know, they may not manage to take uh, all of Donetsk. They may not even take this final city in Luhansk. Who knows? But uh, but. I, I think, I mean, I've heard there's this pretty smart former military officer named, is it Daniel Davis or something? He's, uh, you know, one of these kind of conservative restrainers, I think. And, um, you know, he said, uh, look, if you're gonna, um, if you, if you, if you want to even have a hope of ever pushing them out of uh, the Donbass, you really should avoid getting many troops trapped now. You should, you should. Uh, you know, ta do tactical retreats and and create a new line of a new perimeter of defense where there isn't one. 
Because remember, I mean, the Russians are moving so slowly because the, the Ukrainians are so dug in along certain lines. But once the Russians are past that, unless they are completely exhausted, they may be able to move pretty fast. Right. Um, so there were also elections this past week. I oh, yeah, I forgot. Comment I forgot. on them. Uh, yeah, quickly. The, 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 but, okay, the, 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 the most important election, recent election, was the Cuellar Cisneros House race. Cuellar is a Democrat who has turned conservative on, among other issues, abortion. And, uh, or is it, he's the last uh, uh, anti-abortion Democrat who voted against the, the big bill they had to codify, allegedly codify Roe v. Wade. It actually went much further. But anyway, he's he is. This is his second race against a former aide who is progressive. Has turned on him. Is backed by Bernie Sanders. Uh, he was backed by the entire uh, Democratic House establishment, although with varying degrees of enthusiasm. Clyburn did go down and, and campaign for him. Uh, and the other thing is that the FBI just happened to search his house in the run up to the election. And everybody says, well, this is a bit of bad luck on his part. And I don't have enough faith in the FBI to think it was bad luck uh, anymore. Um, it had to do with Azerbaijan, by the way. Uh, I don't they, they just say they raided his house. They don't say what it was about. It was about an investigation of some shenanigans involving Azerbaijan. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Cuellar uh, seems to have won by like five votes. But there's uh, it's actually like 170 or something. But there's going to be a recount. Uh, and 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 re it's unlikely that the recount will overturn the result, but it's possible. Uh, so, but it looks like that the uh, you know the future of the Democratic Party is still. Uh, they always say the future is up for grabs, and then when the when, if the progressive doesn't win, they say, well, the next time the future will be up for grabs. I mean, the press really wants the progressive to win. Uh, I really want the progressive to lose, and it looks like she's going to again this time. Uh, and as for Republicans, uh, the weekly ritual of using primary results to gauge the degree of Trump's strength within the Republican Party, I didn't keep up with it, but I got to say I was pretty gratified by the results in Georgia. I mean, Trump, the Trump people got blown away. And, 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 and these are such these are the iconic people for his attempt to overthrow the election, especially Raffensperger, the secretary of state. People didn't think he could win without a runoff. He won without a runoff. Right. And then Kemp, the governor. These are the people Trump tried to, you know, intimidate. I know, I, I know people who thought, uh, you know, Kemp should clearly win, but they thought they thought Raffensperger should lose just because he, not because he resisted Trump at the end, which obviously he was right to do, but he gave away way too much to Stacey Abrams in the negotiations before the election. Mm. On the other hand, you know, they cracked down and they still had record turnout, so. Uh, Maybe all these negotiations with Stacey Abrams don't really make have that much effect. Anyway, um, it, it, uh, it, I agree, but I think voters separate the indulging Trump's petty retribution fantasies with supporting him if he runs for president again. And so he wins, you know, 40 percent to 30 percent to 20 percent instead of 60 percent to 40 percent. He's still he's still the likeliest nominee if he runs again. Unfortunately, I, I wish that wasn't true. Um, the because uh, you so think I, he'll I, lose unless he's running against Joe Biden. No, I think I think he'll win the nomination. Right, but I in the got, general, I haven't gotten to the general. I haven't gotten to the general yet. Uh, I think he beats Joe Biden, and and the Democratic field, the replacements for Joe Biden are not very encouraging. There was a mediocre article in New York Magazine that didn't even run through enough of them, but you know they're all people who Trump could beat. It's, it's it's not like it's not like uh, Kamala Harris isn't beatable by Trump, okay. or uh, you know, well, or, we can I mean, run through them in the parrot room. We're at an it, hour. I, well, the other point that I think is, is the other headline point I'll make it quickly is this guy Fetterman, who we've been tracking. Uh, Paul as Bunyan, he, as he you're right, it, it turns out uh, he had a heart condition and he had a stroke, and he claims that it was AFib. It was only AFib, and they giving him putting on a pacemaker, and he's going to be back on the trail. And the question and, is: Is this AFib? Get it? What he's very, saying. Very witty, Bob. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, they, it, it, because the treatment he got, as the New York Times pointed out, is something 
you normally get for somebody who has an actual weakness in the heart muscle, mm. not just a rhythmic problem. Uh, and so he might have a much deeper heart problem than he's letting on, which is uh, a, 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 an impression that's reinforced as he takes his sweet time to get back on the campaign trail. It's possible that his wife is so popular that his wife will, will uh, you know, take the mantle of his nomination and, and do a perfectly good job. But um, uh, it's 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 troubling for the Democrats. Uh, okay. That this and that really. Well, let's- that this happened to him. Let's talk more election in the uh, parrot room at patreon.com slash parrot room. I do want you to run through the possible Trump uh, opponents. Um, other things, do you have other things you're going to be talking about? Um, I think there's this, Sus- there's this Sussman tri- trial, which is going to okay. go to the jury very soon. And that's, the question is... Uh, yeah. That's the question serious. is, Hillary Hillary sent this story to the press. How guilty was Frank for in publishing it? And he wrote the piece in Slate. He claiming, wrote the piece in Slate yeah. claiming that there was a secret connection. I'm not so sure that we can rule out that there was a secret connection, but, uh, you know, he's, okay. he, it'd be interesting to see if he puts up a good defense. Okay, we can talk uh, about that. Uh, we can talk about severance again. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple things to say. Uh, uh, that's the TV show. We talk about Kellyanne Conway's uh, book that came out, and Trump attacked her, even though she didn't attack him. Okay, but she did attack Jared. Hmm. Uh, there's um. Uh, I haven't read Elon Musk's tweets, but I will read them by the time of the parrot room. Uh, use Twitter. Tony Blinken's big speech, which I'm sure you have an opinion on. Uh, I didn't like read the whole thing. Uh, I, I certainly have opinions on Tony Blinken. You read more of it than I did. Um, there's Peter Thiel is now uh, a, possibly being the biggest kingmaker of the election cycle. Uh, Money can do that for a man. There's uh, he also has good candidate choice. Uh, there's uh, the difference between the Bush dynasty and the Clinton dynasty, both of which have collapsed. Uh, Tim Russert's son, Luke, has opened up the national service debate again. I don't know if you want to get into that. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, we got all these wastrel men. Okay, I'll just say without- yes, if, if that'll keep you from elaborating now. Yes, by all means, let's talk about that in the parrot room. <laughs> Um, do you want to talk about monkeypox instead, Bob? Uh, can't get enough of it. Monkeypox, I'm writing it down. Uh, and, okay, that's uh, about nine things. Okay, well, I can have nine, Bob. How many do you have? You don't have to sound competitive about it, Mickey. This is a collaborative endeavor. I just say, who's, who's pulling the weight in terms of generating gratuitous right. topics to talk about? Uh, well, let me see. Well, first of all, I, I, I want to... If there's anybody out there who isn't sick of my rants indicting the mainstream media's coverage of the Ukraine war, and in particular the reliance of outlets like the New York Times and the Washington Post on the Institute for the Study of War, funded by ar- the arms industry, run by neocons, um, you're you're in luck because there's going to be more. I've got I've got I, I actually figured out what it is about the way the Institute for the Study of War covers Ukraine that that does create this like several day lag in any bad news for Ukraine actually reaching the brains of Americans. Uh, I want to had some bad news recently. I know, and they finally got around to sharing it with us. But I I just I I now I really understand something more clearly. And I do want to I have specific trashing of the Times and the Post I want to do. Relatively speaking, I think the Wall Street Journal comes out looking good, by the way. So uh, aside from that, um, you have opinions on John Kerry and other Democratic officials undermining Trump's attempts to nix the Iran deal, like basically encouraging Iran uh, to uh, hang tough, I assume. Um, I'm not sure what you're talking about, but I'm happy to talk about recent developments in the Iran deal and Biden being, you know, a total coward there. Um, 
the uh so i'm writing that down uh the I just got a tiny bit of an update about the podcast dead end about murder and corruption in New Jersey in areas shockingly close to where I live. Uh, we could talk about the Princeton professor who was fired. Do you have any that that's in your neck of the woods, right? I didn't know that much about it. He he allegedly is a victim of a martyr for free speech. It's one of those things where, you know, they have some argument against him, but it's a pretext for punishing him for his speech. Well, which I believe, but that's an inherently okay. duller, that's a duller debate than he was innocent. Okay. We'll see if we may debate that. Uh, I station 11, I finally finished this, you know, epic TV series. I'll have things to say. Um, I, I, I hope it wasn't about the redemptive power of art. It's about, I would say the redemptive power of art. <laughs> but but that's not all you can say about it. It's enough for me. <laughs> yeah, well, we've, <laughs> we've said that. I just want to report back since we've been talking about it for weeks in the parrot room and say that I finally made it and I think I deserve a medal. No, it's 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 interesting. Um, So that's a lot of stuff. We'll try to talk about almost all of it in the parrot room. <clears throat> Patreon.com slash parrot room. Oh, yeah. Click the like button on YouTube. Do us a favor. Uh, rate and review. Where you can experience the redemptive power of art. The redemptive power of art. All right. We'll see you there. Of our art.